Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest. I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania, and Joe Works is with me today from Elmire, New York. Good afternoon, Joe. Hey, Jeff. How are you, Chase? How yeah, we don't have Chase today. Chase is uh, oh, unavailable right. today. Um, yeah. So you all can send comments about how much you miss Chase and uh, how poorly a job we do without him, and I'm sure he'll appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, right, Joe? We are, we are. Uh, it's been enjoyable going through this again and uh, semi-fast pace. We're uh, not stopping to uh, uh, maybe examine, you know, what the, the case is of every Greek word or something. <laughs> but, um, we are uh, we are getting the overall gist of the, of the text. All right, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Uh, I, I, let, let me just mention, I have no idea what those words really mean. I just know that those words exist in the in, in Greek discussion. So, um, yeah. All right. So, okay, just, you know, let, let's just let people behind the curtain a little bit here. So before the <laughs> we started, I was complaining a little bit about a particular um a particular greek scholar who um likes to divide everything up into break down into minute categories so that you'll have 38 different categories for some particular case usage say for example and so that's where that's coming from okay um matthew chapter 5 and verse 33 uh so joe i'm just going to start i'm going to read this first this paragraph that begins here in verse 33 He's, he's talked about various things they have heard that it was said, and he says, but I say unto you, and what he is doing is he is raising the bar as compared with the, the standard of righteousness that prevailed amongst the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, they had a reputation for righteousness, but Jesus is saying that's their righteousness is not going to cut it, and here's what I say unto you, and he, he talks about um, with regard to uh, killing. He, he talks about with regard to adultery. He talks about uh, where the bar is now with regard to what they've heard about swearing. So in verse 33, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. I've got an older translation here. Forswear. So that's an expression that means you you violate your oath. You don't do what you swore to do. What does your Bible say there, Joe? To swear falsely. Swear falsely. Okay. And I, I really, for what it's worth, Joe, back in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord, the Lord thy God in vain. I, I think that's what it's primarily talking about. You take the name of the Lord uh, in swearing to do this or that, and then you don't do it. You've taken the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, so you've sworn falsely. So Jesus says, you've heard that you're not supposed to do that. But, verse 34, I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by the heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, for thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your speech be, yea, yea, nay, nay. Whatsoever is more than these is of the evil one. All right, Joe, what do you think here? What do we want to observe? Well, uh, we just need to be honest. That we, you know, when we say something, we need to do it 
Um, you know, we might talk about having our fingers crossed or, you know, some sort of, of disclaimer, some sort of out for we've agreed to do something. We've agreed that something is true. Um, and then we're like, well, that's not really what I meant. Um, we need to be, we need to be men and women of our word. Right. Um, and I, I think that's really the point here. I, I, I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, but when we talk about swearing by things, it, it, you do, you know, in the Old Testament, they were supposed to swear by God. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, they're told to swear by God. I think it's in Deuteronomy. They're told to swear by God, not swear by the idols of various things. Um, and then we get here and people, it, it's easy to, to think that you see a, a contradiction. I don't know if you want to talk about that any. The one thing I will say, I think Matthew chapter 23 sheds a little bit of light on what was going on and the problem that Jesus is addressing here. It's in Matthew chapter 23 and verse uh, 16, where Jesus says, Woe unto you, you blind guides that say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is debtor. So the, the, apparently what the, they were saying, you could actually swear by certain things and not keep, not do what you promised to do. And you were exempt from any penalty. You were you were off the hook because of the thing you swore by, which opened the, the gate to playing games with this. You know, you could swear by something you knew was not held in high regard and think that, OK, I don't have to do that. And that's dishonest. Um, so in that kind of environment, it's easy to see that Jesus is just saying, look, you're playing games with swearing by this or that. Don't make your integrity contingent upon the thing you swear by. That you you have no integrity then. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point. Um, we just need to recognize that our very lives are held in God's hand, um, uh, and so to to make some sort of claim that you know, no, I really mean this, and here's the way that I'm going to prove it by saying some special phrase. Um, uh, uh, that sort of suggests that our word isn't valuable at other times. Yeah, exactly. And somebody caught me recently. <clears throat> Maybe I said, uh, well, to be honest, <laughs> you're not being honest otherwise. <laughs> or listen, I'm going to yeah. tell you the truth. <laughs> well, what? So, <laughs> yes. It kind of calls into question what you've been saying otherwise. Okay. Uh, well, let's go on to verse 38. You want to read 38 through 42? Sure. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So there's several principles in God's word that, that kind of, coalesce in what Jesus says here. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the brethren suing one another, going to court with one another, and he says, look, why not rather be defrauded? Take wrong. If it comes to that, just accept the wrong. Um, there's the idea of, of being generous and even the idea of being submissive to authorities. I, we probably have, I think, in view in verse um, 41, whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him too. It's usually observed that the language there is suggestive of somebody in a position of authority who could, like a soldier could compel you 
force you into service for the moment. I forget what the terminology is. We have this situation where a police officer can commandeer your car if he needs to. What do we call that? Commandeering a car. I don't know. Commandeering a car. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and so these principles that we see in the New Testament, submitting to authorities, uh, being willing to take wrong, uh, being generous to others, uh, it, they all kind of come together in what's being said here. You have some observations here? Maybe just recognizing, again, all of this keys back to that uh, verse 20 of chapter 5, the, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, our righteousness needs to exceed that. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is, is a quote, uh, Exodus 21. And yet, if you simply say that, and it's a fairly common quote today, somebody does you wrong, you will hear people in the world even say, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, punch him back. You know, uh, he scratched your car, then you slam into his, you know, whatever. Um, uh, and uh, the problem with that is that's really taken out of context if we just mean it as sort of personal vengeance. The, the whole thing in Exodus 21 is about uh, a, a situation that needs to come before the judges and the, the judges decide. The quote here, I think, is from verse chapter 21, verse 24, but just a few verses before that, Whatever the dispute is, it goes to the judges and they decide the proper uh, punishment or consequences. And so this isn't dealing with the personal vengeance. And interesting uh, that Jesus deals with it here because it needs to be dealt with over and over in our society and our culture um, because people make the same misapplication uh, to, to this principle um, that, that is a good principle. Um, uh, you know, just punishment for a just uh, for for an unjust crime. Uh, you know that that's that's good if the courts fulfill that. But we don't need to be busy trying to do that on our own, taking a pound of flesh, if you will. Yeah, the pound of flesh expression was one that came to my mind here. That's the attitude some have. You use the word just, just punishment. The the concept of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, etc., speaks to justice. Um, what maybe we tend to forget is that in God, after whom we are to model ourselves, in God, we see justice combined with mercy. Um, and so God is more just than anybody. And one of the concepts that I think gets lost sometimes is God is going to be just with regard to our sin. Our sin must be punished. God does not just say, well, forget about it and don't worry about it. I'm, I don't, I, you know, I'll overlook your sin. No, our sin is going to be punished one way or the other. We're going to be punished ourselves for it, or Jesus takes the punishment. But because of that possibility of having Jesus take the punishment for it, God has found a way to show mercy to us. And so God is able to combine perfectly justice and mercy. And if we just, and, and we're supposed to emulate that as best we can in our dealings with one another. And if we just focus on the pound of flesh, the eye for an eye, we may be forgetting that quality of mercy uh, that we are to have in emulation of God's character. And so in both of these that we've studied, the taking of the oaths, uh, not swearing falsely, and uh, the question of eye for an eye versus going the extra mile, another phrase that people use, uh, uh, perhaps taken from uh, verse 41, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus certainly uh, manifested these so perfectly. 
you know, his word was always true. He fulfilled what he came to do, what he said he was going to do, even to his own hurt. And, and then we find this very idea of Jesus um, on, on every occasion willing to go far beyond what most people would say was was necessary for, for him. Do you remember the WWJD? Right. Yeah. What would Jesus do? Uh-huh. Maybe I'm too cynical, but I think that uh, in in the popular mind, what would Jesus do is is always, um, at least what we think of in the popular mind, well, Jesus would not condemn. Jesus would be tolerant. Jesus would be accepting. But Jesus was just, was he not? He absolutely was. Yes. And and there are times when what Jesus would do um, was to speak very sternly and point out the hypocrisy or to condemn um, what was wrong. And that's something that's got to be a part of our character also. But here, uh, the point is, uh, don't limit yourself to just making sure that when you get wronged, that there's payback. Well, I didn't yeah. say that very well, but Romans 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will repay. 43, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I think this is one of the most fundamental passages perhaps in in the gospels. Uh, it's, It's just a fundamental teaching of what we're supposed to be. What are your thoughts here? So verse 43, again, we've noticed how these are, Jesus is not saying the Old Testament was wrong. The Old Testament verses were wrong. He's saying you've been misapplying them. Your righteousness hasn't been what what it ought to be regarding those. And so where where is the passage that says you shall love your neighbor? Uh, Leviticus 19. Yeah. And then where's the passage that says hate your enemy? Um. That's that's the difficult thing is that there's not one that says hate your enemy, yeah. um, you know. So what they've done is they've sort of taken uh, and made what they may see as a, uh, a a logical conclusion. Well, if we're supposed to love our uh, love our neighbors, then whoever's not our neighbor, we don't have to love them. We can hate our you know whoever's not our neighbor, whoever's our enemy. Um, uh, and, and yet I don't know of any verse that, that talks about that, um, that we should hate our, our enemies. Um, there are certainly times where God, uh, acted in that fashion. Some of the Psalms would, uh, would deal with that. Um, uh, those who made themselves enemies of God, um, uh, God would, would destroy and so forth. But for mankind to have the attitude it's okay for me to hate my enemies. I'm afraid that that's, again, a very popular concept in our culture, whether it's dealing with political parties. I mean, can you read anything from the political, the the leaders of the Democratic or the Republican parties, or or you can name some others, I'm sure, 
um, but it's just the the vitriol, the 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 hatred that is poured out toward you know those that are on the other side of the aisle, and then you know it's it's us against them, but then it's it's all of us against, and then we begin to hate you know. Is it the Muslims or is it the uh, the the Chinese or the Russians or whatever you know? Um, it just seems like hatred is something that is yeah. very easily accepted in in culture. So you know, he says, "Pray for those who persecute you," and and this is this is shocking to somebody who's of the mind. Wait, if somebody's persecuting me. I want them. I want them destroyed. Uh, you talk about political parties. You know, it, it is one thing, Joe, it is one thing to look at policies that are intended to advance the transgender cause or to ad advance homosexuality or wanting to basically uh, trivialize uh, marriage between God and man, I mean, between man and woman. Um, it, it, it's, it's one thing to look at those things and really hate what's happening in our culture. But in, in the election before last, we had a major candidate then running for president who ended up becoming president, who just out and out said, if anybody crosses me, if anybody does something to me, if anybody comes at me, my policy is hitting back twice as hard. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's the attitude that's contrary to if somebody persecutes you, pray for them. It is the attitude that we see in Lamech back in Genesis, the fourth chapter, where his arrogance is being highlighted uh, when he says, you know, God said anybody who crosses Cain or anybody who does anything to Cain is going to get it sevenfold. Well, anybody who crosses me does anything to me is going to get it 70 fold. And I've killed a man for wounding me and so on. Um, that, that kind of arrogance uh, is, is what lies behind some of the attitudes that, that you're talking about. But here he says, if you want to be sons of your father who's in heaven, verse 45, you're going to have to love like he loves. We have an expression like father, like son. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Uh, the, 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 the children are, are imitating what the father does. And the father loves uh, the evil and the good. This doesn't mean he condones the evil but there are people who do wrong and there are people who do right and he sends his he makes his sunrise on all of them right. and he makes his rain to shine on all of them i was talking to somebody not too long ago and they had the idea that what this is saying is god blesses all of them and he curses all of them he makes his sunrise and he makes the sun i mean he, the rainfall and the rainfall is his curse upon them no sun and rain are both blessings here exactly yes and he gives them to everybody and if you want to be sons of god that's the way you need to be. You need to be a blessing to everybody. And, 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 and who more perfectly to make this statement than the only begotten Son of God? You know, again, look at Jesus' life. Of all the things that we've said so far, Jesus is the, the great, uh, the perfect illustration of it. But especially this one, as you said at the beginning of, of verse 43, uh, you know, like Father, like Son, Jesus is our role model for this absolutely perfectly. And then you see people like, like Stephen, um, uh, who, who imitated this as well in the, in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he makes the point, if you only are nice to the people who treat you well, you're not better than anybody. Everybody's nice to the people who treat them well. 
Um, and then I like to spend a little time on verse 48. You therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I know that gives people problems because people say, well, we're not supposed to be perfect. We're not expected to be perfect. We can't be perfect. Here's one of those passages that's really helpful to understand. Perfect in the Bible means you're complete. It means in this case, if you love only the people who love you, that's an incomplete kind of love. That's a half a love. But if you, if you want to be perfect in love, if you want to be complete so that your love is not just for the people who love you, but also for the people who persecute you, now you have the kind of love God does, so your love is complete. It's not missing half of the equation, um, and I think that's the point here. Yeah, that's very helpful, I think, for, for us to, to, to recognize this complete in goodness, uh, somebody once told me, uh, to, to think about as the application here. Um, we need to, again, try, that needs to be our goal, is to be like the Father. Um, and, and we find challenges in that from time to time where people do mistreat us, where people don't behave as they should. Chapter 6, you want to get us through the first uh, four verses? Yes, yeah, and, and I'll just say, I, I think that we're still touching on this idea of our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Absolutely. So verse 1, chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So this passage to me is, is interesting because you have a situation here where Jesus uses some language that is hard for me to imagine. He's speaking literally, and Jesus does use bold hyperbolic language. He talks about somebody with a beam in his eye. He talks about it being harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, and I, I read this about somebody standing in the street and blowing a trumpet before he gives alms to the poor. But the fact is, he says, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Right. So am I to picture somebody really standing there with a trumpet? Do, 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 do. Look here, I'm going to give alms to this poor beggar. Everybody notice my great charitable righteousness or something. Well, listen, they didn't have social media back then, but we have people on social media today that make it a point to, you know, they're going to give some super generous tip to a waitress. And so they hold their phone up to video her response and, you know, and then they post it. And, uh, you know, it's all about, we gave this waitress, you know, a thousand dollar tip and, and look at how and it. It's not about the waitress. It's not about their generosity. They're wanting to get likes or loves or whatever it is, you know, and th that's the modern version. Social media is the modern version of tooting your own horn. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and and there is human nature. It's human nature to want to have people like like me and be respected and, and say good things about me and, and but, you know, used to, as a little kid, you learn that you're not supposed to toot your own horn. Just do what's right and, and let other people praise you if they see fit. But 
I guess this this is just a needed lesson. It, it desperately, and and so who is it that we're trying to please? You know, uh, we can think about passages uh, like Romans fourteen um, uh, and and others where we, we need to seek to be God pleasers. And so what we are doing is trying to uh, imitate the Father, be perfect in goodness, and do what God wants us to do. And He is going to see it. Nothing is hidden from His sight. Right. 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 So that's what he says in verse four. Um, so then he says in verse five, very, very similar. Oh, there's, there's one line he's going to repeat in each of these next few sections. They have the reward. Right. If, if you do this to be seen of men, okay, you got what you wanted. You were seen of men, but that's all the reward you're going to get. You're, you're not going to get the reward that comes from the father. Verse five. When you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I send you, they have received their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your inner chamber and having shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret shall recompense you. So let's pause there. And, and so, again, this whole idea of being seen by men in verse five, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's the question. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, this, this is an interesting example because some people, some people do look at um, leading in a religious service, whether it be song leading, whether it be praying or whether it be preaching as an opportunity to impress people as an opportunity to be seen. Um, and other people find it terrifying to try to uh, lead a prayer in public. Um, what do I want to say about this? So part of that is just stage fright. Part of that is just plain old, some people are, are nervous in front of others and some are not. But part of it really does speak to character. Again, who am I trying to impress? What is this about? What is my, what is my religious service about? Is it about serving God or is it about serving myself? I've known people who've looked at verse 6 and become uh, frustrated. Maybe that's not the right word, but they're not sure. Uh, for example, praying before dad and I had lunch together today at Wendy's. He had a Bible study here with somebody at the building. And afterwards we ran out to lunch and uh, we offered thanks before we had our meal. I, I've known of people who felt like you shouldn't do that because that's, that's praying in public. We're supposed to go into a closet and pray. How does that relate to this? So I, I think in this situation, and, and this is interpretive, I, I, I understand but but if if you were at Wendy's and you you know sort of held up your hand and hey everybody I'm going to say a prayer now trumpet you know, <laughs> yeah exactly I think that's the the same idea here um, uh, with uh, one through four the uh, doing good deeds five through thirteen prayer and then we'll get to the fasting and sixteen and following you know it, over and over it's am I wanting to get noticed doing these. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if that's my goal in praying before I eat when I'm out in public, uh, then that's the wrong, that's the wrong uh, objective. Um, uh, but uh, we do find in Jesus sometimes praying in front of other people. And so we can't take this as an absolute all the time, never pray in front of anybody else. 
Jesus prayed in front of his disciples. Um, in so. John 11, when he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he weeps, and there's the crowd standing around, observing him weeping and making note of it. So we know there are people standing around. Jesus says uh, to take away the stone, and they take away the stone, and Jesus, in verse 41, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I knew that you hear me always, but because of the multitude that stands around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. He prays in the presence of a multitude there. Um, Luke 11, same thing. It came to pass when he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Um, you know, it, it seems rather obvious this wasn't just a coincidence. Jesus finished praying, and they asked him to teach how to pray. They saw him praying. Um, and so, again, this isn't to be taken in an extreme statement, uh, never pray with anybody. If we're going to take that, then we would also have to say you can only do it in your room uh, with the door shut. Yeah. Um, and and homeless people can never pray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and, and think about all the times outside that it is so appropriate to, to pray and to give thanks to God. Um, uh, so the idea is that we ought not to be longing to be seen by that. If I can make a, a, a quick parallel to this. Um, some years ago, I was with a bunch of young men uh, at, a, uh, at a, a church in, in the South. And they were letting the, the young men take turns leading a, a song. And there was one young man who practically ran over uh, a couple of other guys to get in front of them so that he could lead a song. And, and you could just see that he wanted to be up there. He, yeah. he wanted to be seen leading a song. Right. Um, that's never been a temptation for me, mainly because of my song leading uh, abilities. Um, uh, but, it, but it is a good um, uh, challenge, I think. Maybe it's not prayer. Maybe it's not song leading. Is it preaching? Um, you know, whatever it might be, we need to make sure that it's not to be seen um, by other people but rather to glorify God, as we were talking about being lights in the world earlier. So let's, let's talk about this. Pray, praying for me, personally, I, I find it difficult to, to lead public prayer, um, and there are reasons for that. Um, but let, but let's, you mentioned preaching. The same thing can apply to preaching. Somebody who, I want to stand up and preach in front of people because I want to be seen in men. Now, let me just ask you straight out, Joe, mm -hmm. uh, do you at times look forward to getting to step in front of a group of people who are ready to listen to God's word and you are eager to say something to them? Sometimes I'm excited to get up. Yes. Why? Why? Because of the message that, I, that, that, that I, I have worked up. Uh, it's from God's word. I'm passionate about it. And I am looking forward to delivering what I believe is a helpful message from the scriptures. Exactly. Exactly. And that's as it should be. But uh, there is a tendency, which you've alluded to, and I've alluded to it among some, to look at the opportunity to preach as the opportunity to be impressive, to be in front of people, and everybody look at me and say, oh, how great he is. And that's, that's the, the mindset that Jesus is working on here. I, I, I heard this was several years ago. Um, uh, I was at a location and they were announcing the next night's speaker. And they said, we hope that everybody comes to see brother so-and-so preach. And it, <laughs> it struck me. I don't know if that was a Freudian or not, but I, 
he said see him preach (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah okay all right he goes on he says in verse seven and in praying use not vain repetitions how does yours read right there that same thing do not use vain repetitions as the gentiles do for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking um be not therefore like unto them for your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him i'm sure that we've all heard prayers where it just sounded like somebody was going on and on for the purpose of sounding uh like an orator um so the the new american standard there says meaningless repetition and the esv says do not heap up empty phrases Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both of those help to, to capture the, the full sense of, of that. Um, yeah, just just speaking so that because you want your voice to be heard. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit more there. But let's move on here. Um, verse uh, nine. After this manner, therefore, pray you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, and then there's a comment after that that we'll come to, but let's talk about this prayer just a little bit. Joe, you are a little bit younger than I, uh, you may be young enough that you do not remember a time when it was common in public school to pray. Do you remember a time when it was common? I, I do not. I do not. Yeah, that in, was not in, a common in, thing. In my, in my first couple of years of, of public school, every morning, we would begin with prayer, and it would be this prayer. Um, so kind of interesting. And I just mentioned that because I think there's a whole host of people today who just can't imagine that. But that's, that's what we did. But you look at this prayer, and uh, is, is he saying pray these exact words? I, I, do, I do not believe so. Uh, pray in this manner, in this fashion. Uh, I think we know that because we see even the very people who were listening to him, the apostles, praying different things at different times in the book of Acts. But what he teaches them in this prayer, there are a lot of things in this prayer that are instructive, exemplary. Just the first thing, how he begins, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He begins with praise, with an acknowledgement of the one to whom he is praying. And I think that we need to in our prayers, remember, we're not just praying to a buddy. We are praying to somebody who is our creator, who is utterly righteous, uh, who's going to hold us accountable, and who loves us. Uh, We need to acknowledge who he is in our prayers. Hallowed be thy name. Sanctified would be another way of saying that. Sanctified be your name. And of course, the point is, his name should be sanctified in our eyes. We ought to see him for who he is separate and above us, uh, transcendent. Um, and, and so praise is an element that we need to incorporate into our prayers. It, it sets the stage for what we would say to him. If we have to recognize to whom we are speaking, and, and once we do that, then that's very much going to eliminate some of the things that I might be tempted to say. I was talking with somebody who's going through a hard time just recently, and I was giving the advice spend some time in prayer and it's all right to just say to God, I'm struggling with this. I feel like I've got more on me than I can handle right now. If it's a complaint, it's a complaint. But I said, just remember to whom you are speaking. Mm -hmm. 
and and speak with that respect and that reverence and um and and when we start out praising god i think it helps us do that yeah exactly very good and but so what is your kingdom come that your will be done what's uh, did, did you have something else on that i'm sorry no that's what i was gonna say but I was going to ask it, so you had to answer it. <laughs> uh, I got it out first. All right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Yeah. What, what's the thought there? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of discussion. Is is he talking about the kingdom as an entity, or is he talking about the rule as a concept? I'm not sure it it. And you may you may feel differently, Joe. I don't I don't know that it's worth spending a, a lot of time trying to split that hair. Uh, the fact is, Jesus is coming into the world as the Messiah at this point. Um, they have been looking for a Messiah who would restore the kingdom. We remember in Acts, the first chapter, the disciples asked Jesus, "Dost thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" They had been a kingdom. Uh, they'd had the the David and his sons, his descendants, sitting on the throne, and they had lost that. And now they're under Roman rule. Um, there is the idea of the kingdom being restored so that there's a king in place. There's also a practical implication, and that is Jesus' rule. A little bit later on, verse 33, it's going to say, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I don't think that means go around driving to this place and that place is the kingdom. Is this the kingdom? Is the, there the kingdom? But if you seek his kingdom, you are seeking his rule. You are seeking to order your life in, in um, conformity to the decrees of the king. Um, so thy kingdom come. So I, you know, when I, I told that story, when I was in second grade, we would, we would begin each day with this prayer. And I'll tell you, I struggled with that when I was in second grade. Can I say the part thy kingdom come? Because the kingdom's already come now. So is this prayer invalid for me? And in a sense, yes, the kingdom had already come, but in a sense, each of us should be looking for God's kingdom in our lives, God's rule. And, and we, I think we could also say, in a sense, the kingdom had already come when Jesus was speaking. He was already the king. He had just not been fully manifested as king. Um, uh, he was he was ruling, I believe, even then. Um, uh, you know, when they wanted Saul to be king, God said that they were rejecting him as king. So God has been king. Yeah. Uh, that that's not a new thing. I, I think you're exactly right. Even going back to John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2, Jesus' own words in 4, 17, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within grasp for you. And then the Beatitudes, when we began, you know, the blessed are the yep. meek, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I think this is a personal statement that's made here. Again, not everybody agrees with me. I get that. Um, but I, I don't have any problem praying it because I do want the kingdom to come into the hearts of every person. Yeah. The, you know, it really, well, we've said enough. I think we've said enough there. Um, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Um, God's rule from heaven to earth. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We, we, we need to recognize and admit or acknowledge that we are dependent upon God. And, and as our daily bread, then make the spiritual application, man doesn't live by bread alone, 
uh, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need that daily bread physically and spiritually, and it only comes from God. He sends the sun and the rain. That's how the uh, the food is, is produced. It's easy for us in our culture, when it was referenced to physical meals, daily bread, to lose sight of the fact that we are daily dependent upon God's provision. Because what do we do? Well, first of all, our bread comes from a grocery store. We don't see it come out of the ground. We don't see it come from the wheat that comes out of the ground. We go to the grocery store, and we buy bread, we buy Captain Crunch cereal, we buy uh, meat, we buy whatever we can, vegetables, frozen vegetables, whatever we buy, we buy it from the grocery store, we bring it home. And then we have this nice, big, fancy refrigerator, that'll keep it for a week, or however long it's gonna, it's gonna keep it. And, and so we stocked up a week ago, and where we got it from wasn't from God's rain and sun, or at least we lose sight of it. It's easy for us to fail to realize we are daily dependent upon God's provision. That is exactly right, and uh, we we need to get back to remembering that, regardless of what happens in the future for this country, uh, for our own sakes, we need to be constantly looking up to heaven with gratitude. Sometimes hardship comes upon a society, and one of the benefits is people start to realize once again how dependent upon God we are, yep. and, and we may see that. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To me, this is such a powerful uh, lesson in the concept of sin. Sin creates a debt. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people miss out on, the language in the Bible of forgiveness is you forgive the sin to the person. Now, I'm going to say something here that to English teachers out there, this will warm their hearts. Uh, in English, we have a direct object and an indirect object. I gave dad the newspaper. The direct object of the verb gave is the newspaper. That's what I gave. The indirect object is dad. That's to whom I gave it. In, in the language of the Greek New Testament, uh, the concept of forgiving, uh, the sin is, is the direct object, and the person to whom the sin is forgiven is the indirect object. What I am forgiving is the sin, and here it's put in the language of a debt, and, and we should be able to understand this. If I owe you a thousand dollars, you forgive the debt. It just I want you to remember this, by the way, Joe. You need to forgive the debt if I owe you thousand dollars. <laughs> you you forgive the debt. You don't forgive me. You forgive the debt to me, uh, so that I don't owe you the thousand dollars anymore. And and that's what God does. He forgives the debt, the sin to us. We talk about forgiving the person. He forgives the sin. And that's what he says we're to do to others. We, we are to forgive those who are our debtors, um, those who owe us, those who sinned against us. We forgive the debt. We forgive the sin to them. Now, that may seem like a, a, a grammatical point. It may seem like it's inconsequential. But I think that it has bearing on the whole concept of when we start talking about can you forgive somebody who hasn't repented and so on? And I, I, I don't want to chase that rabbit right now, but just to say this passage is instructive in the concept. Yeah, and it, it's going to be so powerful that he's going to come back to it again. We're going to run out of time here, but he'll come back to it again in verses 14 and 15. Uh, it is a key part of this prayer. I'll, I'll add this. I'll add this. There, there are two different ways to think of forgiveness and different words in the Greek language for forgiveness. And, and one is really a kind of forgiveness that speaks to my 
heart, where my heart is, and it's it's it comes out of the kindness of my heart. And I think that's what some people are talking about when they say you should forgive somebody whether they repent or not. What they're talking about is what where my heart should be. My heart should be compassionate toward the person. But there's another concept of forgiveness, which is which is to release a debt. And there's a debt that's owed when somebody sins. There's a debt that's owed to God. And I certainly cannot cancel that debt. That debt's not going to be canceled unless they do repent. And that's the concept here um, for what it's worth. You want to get verse 14 and 15? Uh, yeah. Uh, for, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Uh, very cut and dry. Uh, if we are unforgiving people, how would we possibly expect God to forgive us? Well, Joe, I think that's a wrap. I think that gets us to where we'll stop for this week. and We'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 5, 16 next week. Amen. All right. Thanks for watching.